0: and how you stack up against dozens of other heavy-duty parts businesses. Head to heavydutyconsulting.com and schedule a meeting with us today. All right, let's start this episode.
1: You're listening to the Heavy-Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin, and this is the podcast where you'll get expert advice about the heavy-duty parts you buy and find out what's going on in the industry. This episode is sponsored by TruckPartsCross.com. With over 1.5 million crosses and counting, you can cross just about any part you're looking for with TruckPartsCross.com. In this episode, we are going to talk about the year that was 2019, and we're going to also talk a little bit about where we see things going in 2020. To help us with that, I'd like to introduce to you Lucas Deal, Chief Editor at Truck Parts and Service. Lucas, welcome to the podcast. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. Well, I'm very glad that you're here. Lucas, uh, Truck Parts and Service is a magazine. It also has a website at truckpartsandservice.com. Could you just tell the audience a little bit about it in case they're not familiar with your publications? Sure. Truck Parts and Service,
0: t- TPS magazine a- as we know it as, has been around since 1966, and it's been covering the medium and heavy-duty independent truck aftermarket that entire 50, 53 years now. Um, we are available online, TPS Magazine or truckpartsandservice.com. This year, we went we went through a bit of a change. We integrated our successful dealer brand, which covers the medium and heavy-duty dealer market and trailer market within the larger truck parts and service umbrella. So now TPS Magazine covers the entirety of the aftermarket channel as well as the dealer channel and basically everyone, everyone that's servicing the uh, medium and heavy-duty fleet in North America. Uh, ideally, whether they're truck dealers, trailer dealers, independent parts distributors, service facilities, truck stops, everybody that that focus that's working within that space is uh, an ideal customer and an ideal reader for TPS.
1: Well, that's fantastic that you've been able to create something that is so inclusive. I think that's really important to look at the entire industry. Speaking of that, you know, in 2018, we saw record truck sales on the heavy duty side, but then in 2019, it seemed to slump. Why didn't we see a new record set in truck sales in 2019?
0: Well, truck sales are always cyclical. We always have a a really strong peak and then it valleys out and a strong peak and back and forth. And that usually happens on about a three to five year cycle. So it's unlikely that we would follow up a record year with another record year in case we, unless we came in a situation where a really strong october through december fourth quarter then led to a really strong first quarter that would change the next year but that's highly unlikely and we sold so many trucks and and had so many tr- i shouldn't say sold i should step back a second the, the the thing that made 2018 so spectacular was how many trucks were ordered but a lot of the trucks that were ordered last year are actually officially being sold and ownership's being taken in 2019 but what made 20 2018 so unique was a lot of the trucks that were ordered in 2018 a lot of fleets out there in the marketplace started ordering trucks earlier than they otherwise would have because the market was so strong and they saw their um they saw their competitors and contemporaries in the market going out and ordering trucks and they realized, you know if i'm a fleet that always orders in october and in July, the backlog is 11 months long, I better get on that backlog in July because if I wait till October, it's gonna be a 12 months or more before I get my vehicles. So we had this unique situation, kind of a per- perfect storm last year where the market was really strong, everyone wanted to buy trucks, and as everyone went in and ordered trucks, those who were not necessarily ready to buy yet, realized I need to at least get my name on the order board. So people started putting in orders earlier than they otherwise would have, and that, kind of eliminated seasonality for 2018, rather than selling a lot in the spring, fading in the summer and then picking up again in the fall, it was strong the entire year and didn't really start to fade until November and December, which created this spectacular year from an order perspective. But then we got into 2019 and no one needed to order a truck anymore because everyone did it last year and they were still waiting for those trucks. So our orders tanked almost immediately in 2019. And now we're in this situation this year where orders just came up over 20,000 units for the first time in October. And and that's great. Usually you would have seen that five or six times by this point in the year. And this was the first time it happened. It was good to see that it's moving upward again. But it's it's very unlike what we've seen in past cycles. And I think it just goes to show how strong 2018 was.
1: In today's daily email, and if you'd like to subscribe to the daily email, go to truckpartsandservice.com. Right in the header there, you can subscribe to the newsletter and sign up to it. But in today's email, I saw that you wrote an article about trailer sales and how they're projected to conclude 2019 and head into 2020 in quite strong fashion. What's driving that?
0: Uh, I think a lot of that is seasonal ordering. Uh, I what happened with the trailer market is very similar to what happened with the trucking market in that orders were orders were a record in 2018. If they weren't a record every month, they were very close to a record. And then we got into 2019 and they sort of faded off again. And usually orders really start to pick up in September and October. And that's what we've seen over the last couple of months. It's a lot stronger than it's been over the last 8 to 10 months, but it's probably not as high as it's been this time last year or even in 2017. So it shows that fleets that normally purchase their or order their trailers in in October most of them are still doing that they're probably not doing it quite as high as they have in the past just because the market's not that strong overall but it it does show enough confidence that no one is sort of avoiding it it's just they're not ordering extra which is what they have done the last couple years when we reached this point fleets that maybe normally ordered 500 trailers ordered 600 because business was so strong this year they're going back to ordering 500 450 something in that range And it's a little bit more steady, expecting a steady year in 2020, as opposed to another boom.
1: So what trends have you seen in 2019 when it comes to aftermarket parts?
0: I think 2019, by the time it's over, is going to be a solid year. Um, It's not Again, it's not going to be as strong as 2018. I have talked to some people in the market who've said it's kind of been steady year over year. They haven't really seen a lot of growth. I've seen some people who've said, you know, 2% growth, 3% growth. Growth is a little bit stronger on the OE dealer side. They, they've had a little bit more success in the aftermarket this year than the independents have. And I think that probably speaks to the fact that they're not selling trucks. So a lot of the OEMs put a lot of investment into the parts and service space this year. And as such, their, their dealers have been able to get out in front of the market a little bit and sell some extra parts. So their numbers are probably slightly higher, but not that much higher. I I haven't really talked to anyone that says that they're down year over year. Everybody's either stable or, or up slightly. And again, as you know, in this marketplace, there's a lot of regional differences. So if you talk to somebody that's in an oil field, that's still pretty active. They might be having a great year. While you talk to somebody in the, in the South where they don't have oil fields, maybe they're not doing as well, or you talk to somebody on the great plains and we had some problems with uh, here in the U S with, with getting corn and beans in this year. And I'm sure that there were some spots that weren't planted. And as such, there's not going to be as many trucks moving, moving grain here in the fall if the crop wasn't planted in the spring. So there are certain parts of the market that are stronger than others, but I I haven't heard anybody say that they've really taken a beating this year, but I'm sure there's some people that wish it would have been a little bit stronger.
1: So are you seeing from the people that you talk to, is the feeling then that that things have normalized a little bit and we're going to be relatively stable over the next couple of years? Or are we now on the backside of that trend where we're going to see a contraction?
0: I can't speak enough to the economy to say whether or not we'll have a contraction or not, or whether or not we're heading into a recession or a dip, something like that. I think that the data indicates that we're definitely on the Other side of what was a spectacular 2017 and and truly amazing 2018. But that doesn't necessarily mean we're we're heading for a downturn. It might just mean that, like you said, we're we're normally out a little bit. What I have seen from from some economists and some statistics and and data analysts working in our marketplace is sort of the expectation for the aftermarket this year was around 2% growth. And next year, it's somewhere around. 1.8 1.8 to 2% growth, which is similar to, to US GDP expectations for next year. And then 2021 people are maybe a little bit more optimistic. Here in the US, we also have to factor when we're talking about 2020 is how much is the election going to impact that? Because we definitely saw in the second half of 2016 that, that the market kind of struggled a little bit because it wasn't sure what was going to happen. And then after the election and into 2017 and 2018, it really boomed. So as we go into 2020 i think i think the hope is for sort of stability and then withstanding the election withstanding some of the other external factors that could be impacting the economy and the trucking industry and the aftermarket and then hopefully 2021 will be a little bit stronger so i haven't heard anybody come out and say you know the sky is falling but i haven't heard anybody come out and say you know you should go to the bank and take out a huge loan and invest heavily in 2020 cuz it's going to be a monster year so it just seems like we're going to try to push through it and 2021 might be a little stronger
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, you talk about the regional uh, up here in Canada, in Western Canada, the oil field has just taken an absolute beating. And that has really caused a lot of trouble. But then, if you look at Eastern Canada, I talk to people all the time that have parts distribution stores, and they're they're doing just fine. So it really, you know, when you're looking at these overall national numbers, you are looking at the average, and it does depend on where you're at. So I get that. You know, speaking of of technology and speaking of aftermarket parts. Is there anything that you're seeing, any trends you're seeing when it comes to the application of technology, whether it be e-commerce or other things, that is going to significantly change the way that we distribute parts? E-commerce,
0: definitely. There's that, That's something that's not going away. It's going to continue to be more and more popular in our industry. And I talk to a lot of, whether you're uh, truck dealers, parts distributors, trailer dealers, wherever you fall in the marketplace, if you're selling parts, you're either you're put in a situation today where you have to determine... Do I wanna start selling parts online? Do I, how many, if I'm going to do it, how many parts am I gonna sell? How many SKUs am I gonna put on a website? Am I going to make it only available to existing uh, existing customers? Am I going to make it available to everyone? and sort of the Amazon model where you can put in your credit card. I think that's the decision that's being made across North America. And I think it's going to, a decision that's going to need to continue to be made across North America. There, there's obviously, the, the there are some obvious advantages to selling parts online but i know there's a lot of concerns from the the dealer and aftermarket channel that once you make your products available online and you put your price up on the website you're just another you're just another website and maybe you lose some of those relationships and i understand that concern I do know there are a lot of businesses in the industry that are are already sort of creating online ordering portals where an existing customer can go in and put in a stock order or even put in a rush order through a website and then they're just billed monthly or whatever their billing cycle is. But I haven't seen a lot of people in the industry thus far that have really invested heavily into true e-commerce. And I think that's something that they're going to have to do in the future, whether they're investing heavily into the full Amazon model e-commerce or they're just... Putting as much product information as possible on a website, and letting the customer know these are the specs, these are the parts we have, this is everything that you can order from us, and either creating some sort of platform where someone can sign up to be uh, to purchase parts or, or order parts on a website, or make it as easy as possible for them to to come in contact with a facility where they can order those those parts. How are that decisions made? I don't know. But I think that's something you're going to have to see more and more in our industry because customer, customer purchasing trends are just changing. I mean, more and more people are ordering online, and that's not going to change.
1: Definitely, as we see more and more of the older generation, the baby boomers are leaving en masse right now. I was at an industry event, there was 50 of us, 43 of the 50 were over the age of 60. There were only five between the ages of 30 and 59, and there were only two in their 20s. So that kind of shows you uh, what it's like out there. And as these people retire, and the younger people take over purchasing dis- you know, positions, and uh, the service technicians start to buy parts, they're wanting to use technology. So I definitely see that as a as a real driver.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was at the national trailer trailer dealer association meeting last month in florida and one of the sessions i attended was on e-commerce and the growing growing popularity of e-commerce and the presenter said that something like 14 or 15 percent of us retail sales was e-commerce last year and that number has been growing by double digits year over year the entire decade and expectations i don't know where he was getting his data from Uh, apologies that i don't have that source on hand but he did have a source And his data said e-commerce will be as much as 40% of the retail market by 2040. And I recognize that selling truck parts is not the retail market. It's not selling shoes. It's not selling trinkets for your kitchen. It's, it's It's a different focus. And there's a lot of parts that you're always going to want to go to a distributor for or go to a dealer for because they're very specific. They're heavy items. They're high cost, high dollar products. And you want to make sure you buy the right one the first time as opposed to just you buy a pair of shoes, you send them back if you don't want them. But yeah, as more younger people enter this industry, they're going to want to research product online. They're going to want to buy product online when possible. And if you're a distributor or a dealer, anybody that's selling parts and you're focused on being in this industry for the next 20 years, you don't want to sell, you want to stick it out or you're passing the business on to a a younger son or daughter or or younger person in the business and they're planning on keeping the business going, they're going to have to focus on e-commerce because their contemporaries who are entering the market now are going to be looking for e-commerce as a solution for researching and purchasing products.
1: We interviewed uh, Ray Gross, he's the president of the Mobile Maintenance Association in episode 9 and he's really concerned about large-scale consolidation of independent repair shops. What trends are you seeing and are you concerned? I have seen a little
0: bit of consolidation throughout the market there. I mean there's consolidation every year and it seems like Oh boy this could be a big one and then you know you get you get two or three releases announcing a couple consolidations in a week and you start thinking oh what's going to happen in the market and then you don't hear anything for 6 months you don't see any more So I don't know what to expect long-term as it relates to consolidation. Uh, It's always going to continue. There's going to be a certain uh, amount of businesses in our industry that are going to determine, business owners that are going to determine that it's time to get out and there might not be a a son or daughter or associate in the business who wants to take over. So we're going to continue to see that as we sort of go through that generational shift. You were talking about earlier, as a lot of those 60-year-olds start to move out of the business, if they can't find enough people in their 30s and 40s to take over, they're going to have to consolidate. Or we're going to see situations where a company that has five locations maybe becomes a company that has eight locations and maybe moves into new markets because they realize that the businesses that are there, maybe their days are numbered. As it relates to the service market, I haven't heard as much there as it specifically talks about service. Usually I'm looking at the entirety of the dealer channel and the entirety of the aftermarket channel. So I can't say that there's one service business that seems to really be stepping out and acquiring a lot of locations. But just just like it is with the dealer channel and the aftermarket channel, I'm sure that there that there, there will be less businesses in the industry in five years than there are now. There probably won't be less storefronts, there won't be less brick and mortar facilities, but there probably be, will be less um, companies.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know Dickinson Fleet Services, they've been buying up quite a few um, <clears throat> repair shops and, and mobile repair specifically. So we definitely see it. It's, it's interesting also to see the aftermarket parts distribution Companies starting to buy service locations. I think there's a recognition that you're not going to be able to just be in the parts industry. You're going to have to combine parts and service. And I think that's why you see companies like Truck Pro, they're buying service locations, companies like Fleet Pride as well. So I think there's definitely something there and that seems to be happening more and more.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We've written about that a couple of times in TPS over the last couple of years, just the importance of service moving forward. Because as parts become more and more commoditized, especially going to e-commerce, unfortunately, you're going to have more commoditization of parts. The The true value for the aftermarket distributor or service provider is, is being the person that, that throws the box away. And if you can not only sell a part, but also sell the, the service to put that part on a vehicle, there's some real value there. And I think there are a lot of smart and proactive uh, parts distributors out there that are realizing if they're only mildly in service that they need to expand their service presence or if they're not in service at all, that it's something they need to consider, whether that's opening a shop of their own, acquiring a shop, creating a partnership with a shop where they're a a preferred vendor, Uh, understanding the importance of service because as these vehicles become more technologically advanced, the larger fleets are usually pretty good about being able to get the technology that's necessary to maintain their equipment, but also their larger fleets are probably not going to be going to the aftermarket as much. With these medium and small fleets and the owner operators, they're not going to be able to do the service anymore because the trucks are too advanced for them. And if they're not going to be able to do the service, they're going to turn to the independent aftermarket to do that service for them. And if you're a parts distributor, you want to be in front of that customer, not just for the part, but also the service. So you're going to want to make that investment now, because if you wait five to 10 years to do it, you're going to be too far behind.
1: Yeah, that actually makes me think of the electrification of our trucks. Like we see what Nikola Motor Company is doing. And then we see how the traditional truck manufacturers are responding in kind. And it seems like every few weeks this year, there was another announcement of a electric or E-model being announced. I think that's going to have a big impact on parts and, and service, especially on the independent side, because it seems to me like the, uh, the future technicians are going to need to be electrical engineers to be able to work on these vehicles. So that, to me, it's a little cloudy uh, how that's all going to unfold.
0: Yeah, I'm interested to see what happens there too. I know that the OEMs have been releasing a lot of electric vehicles, but for their dealer channels, other than the different training for the technicians to deal with the different power units, a lot of what their technicians are going to be doing moving forward is the same because they're going to have access to all the data they need. They're going to have access to all the parts that they need. So the OEMs are pretty confident that they can train their dealers. As it relates to the aftermarket, that... Yeah, there's a lot of concern there and I have some concerns on my own because I don't know if you're an aftermarket, whether you're a mobile maintenance fleet or mobile maintenance provider or you're a service shop that's got three locations or 10 locations or however many you have, how are you going to have access to that? to the technical bulletins and the technical information necessary to maintain these vehicles. Now, obviously wheel end, suspension, lighting, a lot of things are going to be the same. General electrical is going to be the same, but when you get under the hood, there's going to be a lot that's going to be completely foreign to your technicians. And, and I'm equally concerned and equally um, eager to find out what happens there because I don't know exactly what will happen as it relates to the aftermarket with, with maintenance of electric and hybrid technologies. And I think it's something that the industry needs to prepare for.
1: You've been listening to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin, and we've been speaking with Lucas Deal, Chief Editor at Truck Parts and Service. To learn more about Truck Parts and Service, you can go to truckpartsandservice.com. There is a link in the show notes. Lucas, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and sharing with us your expertise. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Have you subscribed to the podcast yet? Go to heavydutypartsreport.com to listen to and subscribe to the podcast, and let's remember to continue to focus on cost per mile over purchase price, and let's keep those trucks and trailers rolling.